You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Just very, very quickly, the first few chapters are about what, what are these visions called? The night visions. How many night visions are there, do we think? We think there are seven, and we see the first two in chapter one, and then we see them go all the way through to chapter six. Um, and then in chapter seven that we looked at last week, we didn't sort of come up with a title for chapter seven, but we saw that the prophecy changed. It's moved. It's a new section, and chapter seven and eight stand together in the, the middle of this book. Um, they're, they're really important because they're both the response that Zechariah has given from the Lord to the deputation that's been sent to him from Bethel who were inquiring around how much they should be fasting um, and, and, and weeping and mourning for at the time of the feasts. And, and the feasts you remember when we looked at chapter seven were those feasts that were um, created by men um, to sort of mourn because of what had happened to the temple, the city of Jerusalem, their ruler, Gedaliah, and, um, and and they turned it into this sort of national mourning, but that didn't really have the substance and, and it wasn't focused enough on giving God praise and glory and recognizing him in their lives. And so chapter seven, we saw that Zechariah rebukes the people. That, that, that if, we, if we had a title perhaps for chapter seven, we might say the title could be a question. Shall we fast? That's the question they come to him with. But what we see now in chapter eight is Zachariah's more positive, for want of a better phrase, um, response to this deputation. Okay, well, we we can see you'll notice quite a lot of repetition in this chapter from both chapter seven and within the chapter itself, not least the title of God used here, the Lord of hosts. And I've counted, I may not have counted correctly here. I haven't looked it up in a, um, in a dictionary properly, which I probably ought to have done, but 14 times it says the Lord of hosts. So in verse one, in verse two, um, in verse four, in verse six, twice, it also says, I've just missed verse three. Uh, thus said the Lord, it's not Lord of hosts, though, is it? Yeah. The end. Oh, the end of verse three. Oh, thanks, the end of, So, yeah, so I'm up to 15 then. Um, verse three, verse four, verse six, twice, verse seven, verse nine, verse 11. I, I won't go through them. You, you'll just have to go through them and, and sort of color them in. But needless to say, there's a picture here of the Lord of hosts. Now, how does the Lord of hosts translate? You know, what, how, what, how else might we say that? Lord of armies, Yahweh of armies, yeah. So, uh, and, and Yahweh is the idea of God's purpose, isn't it? I, I will be who I will be. I will be armies in, in, in a multitude of people. So, some of the picture here of Zechariah 8, where we keep seeing this rephrase, refrain of Yahweh of armies, um, we, we can perhaps tie in to a chapter like Revelation 19 where you remember that 
those of you who looked at Revelation 19, that there's the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints together who go out in battle. And you've got the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ on his horse and the saints are with him. And so what you see is the armies of heaven. So Revelation 19, verse 14, the armies which were in heaven followed him on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So that's the picture, really, that this refrain of Yahweh of armies that keeps coming out of Zechariah chapter 8 is the picture of um, the, the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints in the name of God going out. And they go out, verse 2, with great fury. So what do we read, Zechariah 8, verse 2? Thus saith Yahweh of the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. So with great fury, this army, as it were, is going out. Now, I think that's quite an interesting use of language there, this idea of great fury. And I suggest that we make a mark or a note of Daniel 11 and verse 45. Or uh, verse 44, I should say. Where do you remember from any studies that we've done in Daniel that Gog, who is the Russian invader, that's come down through the land and into Egypt, is sitting in Egypt until he hears tidings out of the east and out of the north, and he sweeps back up to Jerusalem, to Zion, and we read verse 44, he shall go forth with, how does he go forth? With great fury. So no wonder now Yahweh of armies, the, the multitudinous Christ, we pray that this is us, that a part of this group will go to Jerusalem with great fury. We're going to save those people, the Jews that are still in Jerusalem, holding on for their lives because of the awfulness of the situation that they've been surrounded by the Gogan invader. And uh, that they've they, they've nearly well, they've been brought to their knees like never before. So, verse three of chapter eight: Thus saith the Lord, I'm returned to Zion, and will dwell in the middle of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. Now, I mentioned about the key words. Did you notice a key word there? truth so where else do we come across truth in Zechariah 8 verse 8 what are Lil's uh mum 16 Beck also 16 19 good well they're the ones I've got I think we've probably lots of us have got them colored in yeah if we haven't color them in so now this is really important that when the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints now come to Jerusalem with great fury to overthrow the Gogan invader the key characteristic of what Jerusalem is now going to become 
is the city of truth. So at the end of verse 8, I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. In verse 16, the challenge then for those inside the city is to speak the truth. And at the end of verse 19, to love the truth and peace. So the key characteristic of the city of Jerusalem is a city of truth. Now, why is that so important? What has the Gogan invader, which don't forget has been part of the Roman system? You think we need, you know, we can't do the whole history lesson, but we go back to Daniel 2 and the two legs showing the eastern and the western side. And this is the dragon power, the eastern side, the political power that's come against the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints have come to fight him now with great fury. What is that system renowned for? Deceit. deceit. So give me a reference for this, this idea of the, the, the deceit. Well, you're absolutely spot on in terms of this deceit. Let's just go to a couple of references then to, to, to ensure that we're, we're right in building this picture. Um, let's go to Revelation 12 just one verse there i want in verse 11 so i'll go there you might want to make the note um revelation 12 and verse 9 rather apologies i'm not doing very well with my references i mean revelation 12 verse 9 the great dragon was cast out and the old serpent called the devil and satan which deceives the whole world so this deceiver um uh, the you know a key reference is second thessalonians chapter 2 where we read about the man of sin. Now, Gog isn't the man of sin. The man of sin is the Pope, but it's the same system that they come from. One is the beast power. One is the dragon power. Uh, and in 2 Thessalonians 2, we've got the false prophet that's part of those systems. And we're told in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 8, that when that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. Now, that is Revelation 19, where we see the armies going and that the, the spirit of his mouth, the spirit of the word that slays those who come against the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints. With the spirit of his mouth, he shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, or deceit of unrighteousness. Um, so 2 Thessalonians 2, that is verse 9 and 10. And then I'll give you one more reference, which is, I believe, directly referring to Gog. And that's at the end of Daniel chapter 8, where we read in verse 25 that through his policy, he shall cause craft, or give me another word for craft, deceit. He'll cause deceit to prosper. So here's the picture. The Gogian confederacy has surrounded Jerusalem. The, 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 the latter-day Assyrian, Gog himself, is shaking his fist at Zion, saying tomorrow that they'll die. He, he's like uh, the Rabshakeh when Sennacherib sent the, his army into Assyria. And he, he's shouting to them. And yet they've had the courage to hold on. And now the Lord Jesus and the Christ and the saints are there. And Jerusalem is to be called the city of truth. And so the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain, thus saith the Lord of hosts, verse four, there shall yet old men 
and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem. Now, the word streets here isn't streets quite how we might see it. Um, actually, elsewhere, it's translated large places. The, the, the idea is, though, this gorgeous picture, isn't it, of contentment and of safety of of the millennium period when uh, you know the, 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 the immortal men and women, the, the old men, old women, and and then verse five, the streets of the city, the large places of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing there. There's this lovely, lovely picture, isn't it, of old men and old women and, and young children all together, but uh, contented and safe, uh, unlike the, the terror that this group have experienced in the days before the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints have got there. And so that's the lovely picture that we've got um, in verse four and five, which is, um, I always think, a really special picture for us, isn't it? And so then we read verse six, thus saith the Lord of hosts, if it be marvellous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvellous in my eyes, saith the Lord of hosts. Now that phrase is you know, uh, interesting phrase of this idea of marvellous in our eyes. And we ask, you know, where do we get this from, this idea of marvellous in our eyes? And I want you to keep a marker. And I think we'd have probably got there eventually, but come with me to Psalm 118. So keep a marker, come to Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 you see straight away in verse 23 why we've got come here. So someone read to me verse 23 of Psalm 118. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. So can you see the connection straight away? So, so this is why we're here in Psalm 118. So that phrase, that's what we do with Bible studies, isn't it? We sort of think, where have we seen that phrase? We look for that phrase. Here's that lovely phrase in Psalm 118. Now let's look at the context now of this psalm. So just come back with me just to the earlier verses. Verse 8. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compass me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compass me, yea, they compass me, but in the name of the Lord I'll destroy them. They compass me like bees. They're quenched as the fire of thorns, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. So what did the Gogian army do? What are they going to do? They're going to compass them. Now, what does that remind you of? Which ancient siege were Israel surrounded by? The Assyrians. And what did Rabshakeh say to the people? Don't listen to not just Hezekiah. Don't listen to God. So should we just quickly turn to 2 Kings 18, keep a marker here still. So you, got, you, you need one finger in Zechariah 8, one in Psalm 118. And now we need to go back to, to 2 Kings 18, where we've got that record. And we just see how clear this is. 2 Kings 18. We read in verse 19 that Rabshakeh said to them, Speak ye now to Hezekiah. Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Now, what did the psalm say? It's better to trust in God than to put confidence in man, right? 
So what confidence is this which you trust? Verse 21, now behold, you trust on the star for the bruised reed, even on Egypt. And so, you know, we can keep reading, can't we, through that section. Just jump to verse 30. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make an agreement with me by present and come out to me, and you'll eat every man of his own vine, every one of his own fig tree, drink every one of the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil, of olive oil, and not die. And hearken not to Hezekiah when he persuades you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Of course, we know what happened. This voice is like the voice of the serpent, isn't it? The voice of the serpent that says, follow me trust in me i'll give you this i'll give you that it's the voice of sin that says don't put your trust in god put your confidence in men but we've got to have the strength and courage of character to be prepared to stand aside from what the world says and to put our trust always in god and so come back to psalm 118 because what do we now read? Verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. Well, what's what's going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints come? Think of other Psalms that, that, that speak to us of the joy of when the saints come. What, what's it going to be like? What will they say? Open ye the gates. So I'm thinking of Psalms like Psalm 24. Who is the king of glory? Uh, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift them up, ye everlasting doors. The king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? He is Yahweh of armies. He is the king of glory. So Psalm 24 now, we see also helping us understand Psalm 118. Open the gates of righteousness. I will go into them. I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected. Who is here in the middle of Yahweh of armies that the Jewish people are now going to recognize and mourn? Who is here in the middle? The Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we know when we come to Zechariah 12, we'll see their reaction here. The stone which the builders rejected. Now, what are they doing in the days of Zechariah? Who are they? What are they doing? They are the builders, right? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvellous in our eyes. No wonder, come back to Zechariah 8, no wonder, spintingly, I think, if it be marvellous in the eye of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvellous in my eyes, saith the Lord of hosts? Isn't it lovely? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, verse 7, I will save my people. So what do we see happening here in verse 7? So we're in Jerusalem now. The main mission of the, 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 the multitudinous Christ, Yahweh of armies. We've got into Jerusalem. The gates have got been opened. The righteous have gone in. Jerusalem, the, the marker goes down. It's the city of truth. But immediately 
what we see needing to happen. Verse 7, I will save my people. So he saved those in the city, but there are plenty all over the world of Jews now who recognize the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to be brought from the East Country, from the West. I'll bring them and they will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. And we saw the importance of righteousness, Psalm 118, the gates are open for the righteous to go in. Just We just note that that word save is from the root word Yahshua, salvation of God. The it's the second time actually that that word is used in scripture is right towards the beginning of our bibles in exodus chapter 14 what's exodus 14 about come on no genesis 14 dad's gone to uh exodus 14 is red sea and the one who are they having to be saved from they're being having to be there's a, so there's this great work of salvation is there exodus 14 yeah so it's a good note for us to sort of make in our margin exodus 14 verse 13 moses said to the people fear ye not we'll see that phrase come up in our chapter twice fear ye not stand still and see the salvation of the lord there's our phrase which he will show to you this day the egyptians whom you've seen today you shall see them again no more forever the Lord shall fight for you and you will hold your peace. Now, what does that remind you of? What were they told in the days of Hezekiah? Hold your peace. Don't say anything. Who's going to fight the battle? The Lord. So all of these things, all these types are coming together in our chapter here in Zechariah chapter 8. Where does it say in Exodus 14 verse 13, salvation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've got our notes down. Okay. We also see that word save, and we see it later in our chapter here, um, in verse 13. But we also see it in Zechariah 12 and verse 7. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first. So that's what we're seeing. Or in chapter 10 and verse 6, I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. And we'll see when we get there the importance of Judah and Joseph. So those in the land, the tents of Judah to be saved first, but also now the ingathering, the house of Joseph, the, the, the northern tribes, as it were, being gathered in. Okay, so verse 9. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. Now, the first thing we notice is that Haggai has made this point to them already. So Haggai 2 and verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, said the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Joseph, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, said the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. All right, so... And you'll see at the end of verse five of Haggai 2 that they're told, fear ye not. So that same lovely phrase again. OK, so Haggai has already told them to be strong. Now, another useful reference, I think, here 
is Isaiah 35. So as you turn to Isaiah 35, why would their hands, though, need to be strong? What, they, what are they still doing here in, 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 in the time of Zechariah? They're building. They're the builders, right? And the builders are building the temple, which has still got a couple of years to be completed. They're having to, so their hands are having to be strong for the work. They're having to keep building. Now, the, the lovely reference, of course, in Isaiah 35, which is the kingdom psalm, a uh, kingdom chapter, rather, where we read, strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that have a fearful, fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come, will come, even with vengeance. He'll come and save you. Do you see it's all this same lovely, lovely language that is being drawn upon from, uh, from Zechariah under inspiration, of course. So let your hands be strong here in these days, the words by the mouth of the prophets. So who are the prophets that have been saying to them, be strong? Who are they? That, 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 what we're reading, one of them, Haggai and Zechariah. Yeah. So these are, the, these are the prophets, which were in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, that the temple might be built. 4, verse 10. Behold, these days, before these days, apologies, before these days, there was no hire for man, nor any hire for beast. Dad, you've got a slightly different version. You've got anything different for that? wages for man. that's help, really helpful no wages for man so if if, if man's not getting any wages what what hasn't he got money. he hasn't got any money he hasn't got a job right he hasn't got any wages no he hasn't got a job so unemployment right uh, unemployment rates have been sky high they they they've you can imagine that when they got back you know it, it wasn't that they didn't just go back and sort of immediately have jobs and be sorted out you know, it took. It was really tough for them. There was no wages. There's no hire for man, nor any hire for beast. You couldn't, you know, just go and say, "Oh, listen, I'll bring this," and you know, can you, can you, can I earn money for it? It wasn't possible. It was really, really difficult. Neither was any peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction. The affliction. Dad got a different word there for, for affliction in verse ten. The revised version's got adversary. Well, who are the adversaries to, to these this time? Tobias, Sam Ballot. Oh, yeah. So all the all the baddies from Nehemiah, they're the adversaries, aren't they? So not only has it been really difficult economically and just trying to make ends meet for families, they've not had um uh that you know, they've not been able to have a job. They've also had affliction from their adversaries who've made it really, really difficult as they sort of got out. So, so their, the, the sort of people outside Israel have made it tough for them. And I set all men, everyone against his neighbor. So, you know, in addition to that, inside they, they've been challenged and tested um, by, you know, a domestic strife of sorts. So what, what they're being told is that, you know, they were really, really difficult times, really difficult times. But now, verse 11, I will not be unto the residue of this people as in the former days, saith the Lord of hosts. So though I was like that, I was, um, I, I allowed these circumstances or the angels worked to create these circumstances where it was so difficult for you because of their, of course, disobedience. Now, God says, verse 11, things are going to change. 
4, verse 12. The seed shall be prosperous. The vine shall give her fruit. The ground shall give her increase. The heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. So all the difficulties that they've had in unemployment, in, in the challenge of their, their neighbours making their life difficult, in the challenge of the, the, the countries around about them being adversaries to them, they're now being told, I'm going to look after you. And we see then the blessings associated with the, with the vine, with the, the seed being prosperous, with the ground giving increase, and the heavens giving uh, given the, the heavens giving their due. And verse 13, and it shall come to pass as you were a curse, so you're going to be saved. Now, can you think of a curse that made the ground in a pickle? Right the way back to Genesis 3, isn't it? Right? So can you see that the curse is being reversed so that the ground so uh, let's just get a, a um uh oh maddie's come say hello hello all right um matt i'm not finding it easy to turn the pages with you licking my hand so genesis chapter three thanks lils and uh verse 17 thou shalt not eat of it cursed is the ground for thy sake in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all thy life thorns and thistles and in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread so the curse has affected everything and of course in addition israel were told that despite that curse think of deuteronomy if they were obedient to god what would god do he'd bless them but if they were disobedient to god what would god do curse them so let's just go to deuteronomy 28 to just remind ourselves of that so Deuteronomy 28, we read verse 15. It shall come to pass if you will not hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Curse shall be the city. Curse shall be the field. Curse shall be thy basket and thy store. Curse shall be the fruit of thy body, the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kind, the flock of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou come in. Cursed thou shalt be when thou go out. And so on, right? But that is what we've seen happen to them in Zechariah 8 and verse 10. It's the effect of the curse. But what God is now going to do is that though that you were a curse, he's going to change it. And so we've seen even in recent times, as Israel have come back to the land, just turn to Ezekiel 36. And we're seeing you know, we can you, you can read about it today that although clearly the curse hasn't been lifted yet, um, the, the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints haven't come to save them. We're seeing that they're back in the land and we're seeing that the beginnings of the seeds of peace, that that word in Zechariah 8, 
where it says, uh, verse 12, the seed shall be prosperous. It means peace. I think we're seeing the beginnings, the seeds of peace in Zechariah 8, in, in, in 8 and Ezekiel 36. So we read in verse 8, O mountains of Israel, so that this is now talking about the West Bank, the, the places where Israel are now dwelling. You shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel. They're at hand to come. I'm for you. I'll turn to you. You'll be tilled and sown and I'll multiply you man and beast now settle you and and, and then we, we read a, a little bit later on in ezekiel 36 that their hearts are going to need to be changed and so we see uh, in verse 28 you shall dwell in the land that i gave to your fathers you shall be my people i'll be your god i'll save you from all your uncleanness i'll call for the corn and will increase it and i'll lay no famine on you i'll multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field that you shall receive no more reproach of famine among the nations and so did you see that that what happens is that the the land is changed so verse 34, the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say this land that was desolate is become like the garden of. Why? The curse has changed. The curse has been lifted. So Zechariah 8. Verse 13, it shall come to pass as you were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel. What do we notice? We've got the house of and the house of Israel, right? So the house of Judah, we believe, are those who are in the land, but the house of Israel are also being saved, that those outside of the land of Israel that are being brought in. That's a bit confusing for any of us. When we get to Zechariah 10, we'll look at that with a little bit more detail. So I'll save you and you will be a blessing. What's the phrase? Fear not, let your hands be strong. So do you see often we've read that refrain now, this idea of fearing not that for all the awfulness of the past and the terribleness of the Gogian invasion, now is the time of their salvation and they need not fear any more. Now, just perhaps make a note next to the house of Judah and the house of Israel. Because of time, I'm not going to go there. But just make a note perhaps of Ezekiel 37, 21 and 22, where you see in Ezekiel 37, 21 and 22, the, both the house of Israel and Judah coming together to be saved. Okay. Verse 14. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, as I thought to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, saith the Lord of hosts, and I repented not. Now, I don't know if you remember, because it's months ago now, but when we did our first class of Zechariah in chapter one, there was a key phrase in the first six verses. The Lord has been sore displeased with, Zechariah one, verse two, the Lord has been sore displeased with your, verse four, be not like your, Verse five, your fathers, where are they? Verse six, your father, all right? So he's referring now to the that, as I thought to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath. Now, what did they do? Well, clearly they were disobedient. Hence the curses came upon them. Hence they were scattered. But I think a good verse that perhaps summarizes for us how the fathers treated the truth that had been given to them is in second chronicles 36 and verse 16 now second chronicles 36 
is the chapter that describes them going into captivity for the 70 year period because God had had enough and the profane wicked prince of Israel was on the throne Zedekiah and his 11 years that he reigned was so awful God said that's enough and they were taken off to Babylon but what we read in verse 15 there's the lord god of their fathers sent them that they had been given warning after warning after warning sent to their fathers sent to them by his messengers rising up betimes sending because he had compassion on his people on his dwelling place but they mocked the messengers of god they despised his words they misused or, or the revised version says they scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the lord arose against his people till there was no remedy now after zachariah god willing uh john my brother john is going to pick up malachi as we're doing the prophets after the exile and you'll see when we get to the, the last chapter in malachi how important that word there was no remedy is just look in your margin you'll see the hebrew is there was no healing and that word is picked up for us in malachi 4 and verse 2 but we'll save that for when we um, look at malachi together god willing so come back to zachariah 8 and verse 14 as i thought to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath what did they do they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words. They scoffed at the prophets until there was no healing. So that's why the, the curse and the difficulties came upon them. Okay, so verse 15. So again, have I thought in those days to do well unto Jerusalem and to the house of Judah? Fear ye not so we see that phrase again remember i pointed out earlier haggai 2 verse 5 haggai's already said it according to the word which i commanded covenanted with you when he came out of egypt so that my spirit remains among you fear ye not so next to fear ye not you've got verse 13 verse 15 and haggai 2 and verse 5 you also might have Exodus 13, Exodus 14, rather, and verse 13. Okay, so verse 16. These are the things you need to do. Now, there's a practical outworking. They've been saved, but now they've got a work to do because they are now the mortal population that that recognize the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they recognize the one who they've pierced. They mourn for him. And... It, it, it's not like oh great now you know now you can just you know do, do as you like again no they, they don't want to they want to follow the lord jesus christ and his ways and they're given some clear instructions as to what they need to do verse 16 speak every man the truth to his neighbor so the kingdom that's being established now yes it's being established by immortal people we pray that will be us with the lord jesus christ but the mortal population are being given instructions for how the righteous rule that's going to go out of zion needs to manifest itself it's not just some ethereal spirit drifting out that sort of you know people think oh yes we must worship the king 
this is there's a practical outworking and it's between people speak every man the truth to his neighbor well that's critical because jerusalem is called the city of truth execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor and love no false oath so again it's a sort of lovely picture isn't it that's the practical behavior required of the mortal population living in jerusalem and the kingdom is being established in its building but these are the requirements of the people who are going to live in the kingdom age and of course we reflect on it and we think well this is the requirements of us today one thing that we read there love no false oath and we ask ourselves well, you know what, what is it that is being referred to here love no false oath well i think it takes us back to chapter five where you remember that the judgments brought against jerusalem in zechariah five i will bring it forth saith the lord verse four i'll bring it forth saith the lord of hosts so this is the curse that is going to come upon them it shall enter into the house of the thief and into the house of him that swears falsely by my name. So God hates that. People that swear falsely by his name. People that dress up in a sort of sense of religion. Think of the religious systems that give a pretense of worshipping God, but they do it falsely in his name. God hates that. Love no false oath. For all these things, for all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. Now, a good reference to put in there is Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19. Just come to Proverbs 6. All these things I hate, saith the Lord. Proverbs 6, we're told of some of the things that God hates. Proverbs 6, verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, what's gold like? Proud. A lying tongue, what's gold like? Deceitful, a liar. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that divides, deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaks lies and that sows discord among brethren. Well, they're the characteristics that God hates. These are the things I hate, saith the Lord. So I think that Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19, capture for us why it is that in the kingdom age, in Jerusalem, the command goes out. These are the things that you will do. Speak every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts. He hates Proverbs 6 verse 18. The heart that devises wicked imaginations. Okay, verse 18 of Zechariah 8. The word of the Lord of hosts came to be saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah, 
joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. So these were the feasts that they were rebuked for the fact that they were so intent on keeping. And they were asking, should, well, they said, should we keep keeping it in chapter seven? Should we keep weeping? And these are the feasts, do you remember, that we saw in Second Kings um, 25, where we saw that they were the feasts that they'd kept because of the for the siege of Jerusalem and because the walls of Jerusalem, the breach in the wall, and because the temple fell down and because of Gedaliah. Now, I'm not going to go through all these again. Those of you who missed last week's class, you need to go back to chapter seven and uh, just look at what we said about verse five. and You'll see the detail that we set out for these feasts. But what they're told now is, listen, we can keep them, but what we're going to turn them into isn't feasts of weeping and mourning and self-pity that they've been, but these are now going to become of gladness, feasts of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love the truth and peace. Now, joy and gladness is just a lovely phrase, isn't it? Lovely scriptural phrase. And um, we see it come together on a few places in scripture. And I just want us to, to race through a few of those places. So come me first to Esther chapter eight, keep a marker, but come to Esther chapter eight, where the Jews are saved in the city of Shushan. And we read in Esther eight, verse 17, in every province. So the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment, his decree came, the joys, the Jews had joy and gladness. So that's much like the picture here now, that the Jews are having joy and gladness because of the fact they've been saved from the latter day, who is the character in Esther, who is against the Jews, Haman. Now, what's happened to the Gogan Confederacy? Ezekiel 39, you need to know your Bibles, but what happens to the Gogan Confederacy? They get buried in the valley of Haman Gog. All right. So this is now the Jews in a time of joy and gladness. So make a note next to joy and gladness in verse 19 of Zechariah 8, Esther 8, verse 17. Now, um, let me give you another one. Uh, the Ezekiel reference would be Ezekiel 39. I'll tell you the exact reference. Ezekiel 39. The Valley of Haman Gog. And we are going in at verse 11. They shall call it the Valley of Haman Gog. So the Jews now are having joy and gladness. So just a couple uh, more references, if we may. Isaiah. Well, let's go to Jeremiah first. Jeremiah 33 and verse 11 where we see the blessings given to the jews verse 14 um, uh, um so jeremiah 14 uh jeremiah 33 apologies and verse 11 the voice of joy and the voice of gladness the voice of the bridegroom the voice of the bride the voice of them that shall say Praise the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is good. His mercy endures forever. And them that shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. I will cause to return the captivity of the land as at the first, says the Lord. All right. So this this picture of joy and gladness. And you could look more into th this chapter 
um, to see how clear that is. Come with me to two more. Isaiah 51. The picture of joy and gladness. Isaiah 51. Verse 11 is our verse, but we'll go in at verse 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient times, in the generations of old. Art not thou, art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? That that's that's Egypt. Art that thou not it which hath dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that's made the depths of the sea a way of the ransom to pass over? Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing to Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. One more, Isaiah 35, just on this theme. Isaiah 35. You know it well. Verse 10, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So this is the picture, do you see, of Zechariah chapter 8. You know, we can't just read that joy and gladness and cheerful feast. This is the gorgeous picture that's being built, that's being built through Isaiah, through Jeremiah, shown us in the story of Esther that the Jews are going to have this time of joy and gladness because Haman Gog has been dealt with. Verse 20, thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. So can you imagine that as Jerusalem becomes this city of truth, as the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ begins to go out, and as it affects the behaviour of people, that people actually execute truth they speak the truth to their neighbors and this this the blessings associated with the truth are growing and growing and they're coming out of jerusalem and building out of israel and so the inhabitants of one city verse 21 shall go to another saying let's go speedily to pray before the lord to seek the lord of hosts and the other city says we'll come with you i will go also everyone saying can we come? Can we come? It's just going to be the most amazing, exciting time the world has ever seen as Eden starts to be restored. Yay, verse 22. Many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem. So not just individuals, but even whole nations will make their foreign policy. And you think, well, what? haven't they all just collapsed? Well, clearly, at the Battle of Armageddon, there's going to have profound consequences to the nations of the world. Towers are going to crumble. The infrastructure that we now know and rely upon is going to go. But there still will be nations at this time. You know, the, the Pope at this time will start to rally armies to want to come against the Lord Jesus Christ. But there'll be many others too, many nations across the world. But those who can see Look carefully at what this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, represents in Jerusalem and the good things that are coming out of this land. They're going to want to be there. So give me a nation that we know is going to be rather quick to sign up, as it were. Britain. Give me a, give, well, how do we know? Psalm 72. Yeah, is that what we're thinking? Psalm 72. Give the king thy righteousness. 
we see that the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, is ruling. But we also see, verse 10, the kings of Tarshish, Britain and the Isles, shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall bring gifts. The Gulf nations. Now, eventually, verse 11, all kings will fall before him. All days, in the end, the whole world will. But it begins with the, the, the likes of the kings of Sheba and those Gulf states. And so why? What well, They'll be used by the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints with a mission. Because, yes, you've got all these Jews in Jerusalem, but there are Jews all over the world. But we're seeing that the saving of Zechariah 8 verse 12 is for the house of Judah and the house of Israel. Well, who's going to bring the house of Israel back to the land? Isaiah 60. Come and have a look. Isaiah 60. Verse 1, arise, shine, thy light is come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. We, we see the change that the, the, the Gentiles shall come to thy light. Kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up your eyes round about sea. All they gather themselves, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far. Thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. And who's going to bring them? Verse 9, surely the isles shall wait for me the ships of Tarshish first, to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them. And they're going to come, verse 10, the sons of strangers, they'll build up your walls. So the building work of Zechariah 8, well, that's nothing compared to the building work of the temple age, when those who see the authority of the Lord Jesus and the goodness of his reign will want to associate themselves with it. And so many uh, certainly of Tarshish, will be quick to join in. So, verse 22 of Zechariah 8, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem. Now, that's the picture of Isaiah 2, isn't it? We won't go to Isaiah 2. Let's just go to Micah 4. It's the, it's the same picture that, that Micah's inspired to, to give us that we see in Isaiah 2, of the mountain of the Lord's house being established. So, Micah 4, verse 1, in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills. People shall flow to it. This is the picture of Zechariah 8. Many nations shall come and say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us his ways. We'll walk in his paths. The law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge among many people. He'll rebuke strong nations afar off and they that beat their swords into plowshares and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift a sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. They shall sit every man under his vine, under his fig tree and none shall make them afraid fear not we've read haven't we for the mouth of Yahweh of armies has spoken it and so verse 23 of Zechariah 8 thus says Yahweh of armies in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations shall take hold of the skirt of him that's a Jew they're going to want to say, we want to come with you. So as the ships of Tarshish are sent across the world to bring in the sons from far, from east, from west, the gathering takes place. So any that want to come and join in, they're going to be grabbing 10 men 
will be saying, we want to come with you. We want to come with you. Their own lands, of course, will be struggling so much because of the fact that the, dec the decimation of Armageddon. And so they're going to want to go with this people. Now, we just make one more point here. One of the feasts that they were keeping was because the governor of Jerusalem set up 70 years before by Nebuchadnezzar and installed in Jerusalem. What was his name? Gedaliah. Now, just come with me to Jeremiah 41. Final reference. Now, we're interested that they're told here that, that 10 men will take hold out of all language. Now, clearly that's a symbolic number, right? Mm -hmm. But come with me to Jeremiah. I will just go to chapter 40 for a bit of context. Verse 9, Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, swear to them, said, Fear not to serve the Chaldeans, dwell in the land, serve the king of Babylon. It will be well, well with you. So he's a, he, Gedaliah is a good guy. As for me, behold, I'll dwell at Mizpah to serve the Chaldeans, which will come to us. But gather ye wine and summer fruits and oil and put them in your vessels and dwell in your cities that you've taken. Likewise, when now notice what has happening here. Likewise, when all the Jews that were in Moab and among the Ammonites in Eden and that were in all the countries heard that the king of Babylon had left the remnant of Judah, that he set them over, over them, Gedaliah, the son of Hikam, the son of Shaphan. Even all the Jews returned out of all the places that they were driven. Now, Gedaliah is now tipped off about a plot against him, it, but Gedaliah doesn't believe it. But tragically, it happens. And so chapter 41 and verse 2 of Jeremiah, then arose Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and how many men that were with him? And the ten men that were with him, and smote Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, with a sword, and slew him, whom the king of governor had made governor, the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Ishmael also slew all the Jews. So do you see that there's this anti-Semitism that's here? Now he slays others too, but the record makes clear. That because Gedaliah is installed as governor, the Jews come back. And then Ishmael comes, and not only does he kill Gedaliah, with 10 men, he kills the Jews. And so the lovely prophecy here, back in Zechariah chapter 8, that 10 men, yes, it's a symbolic number of, you know, 10 being this complete number that, you know, so many are going to want to take hold of the, lack of, the of the skirt of the Jew to go with them. But critically, they're also being told that what happened to Gedaliah is never going to happen again. In fact, in stark contrast, people, 10 men, as it were, they're not going to want to kill you. They're going to want to go with him that's a Jew, saying, we will go with you. We've heard that God is with you. And so that's the close of this section, chapter seven and eight.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.